0: Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, I'm talking to Sky Van Hazen from Agri, who has been working on crop innovation that delivers real value across the food chain. Today we'll be looking at some real opportunities with some crops that growers could look forward to growing that can deliver real value from farm gate right through to the consumer. Profitable crops with a sustainable future perhaps. So welcome, Sky, to Tramlines. Yes, hi, Tony. Um, When we spoke earlier, you talked about crop innovation. And so for the benefit of our listeners, what does that mean? I mean, tell us a bit more about that. Uh,
1: Crop innovation, uh, it's quite a sort of multifaceted thing, really. You know, from our perspective, it's about the entire chain. That's that's really where crop innovation comes into it. So this is not just about here's some seed, grow some seed. This is about creating products taking things that maybe people didn't think were possible and bringing them to fruition they look to answer issues in the industry and issues in the consumer and we bring all that together and we make sure that chain talks to each other and thereby provide opportunities for growers
0: so so that sounds fantastic i mean when you talk about the whole chain talking together but but what does that what does that mean uh, if you're a farmer a producer What what is that actually going to mean for them?
1: Yeah, so in essence, what we try to do is we bring these crops into the system. We have a go in terms of getting them growing. But at the same time, we're engaging with the end users, with the producers in terms of those that produce for the consumer. And in that same breath, what we're able to do is to ensure that the grower doesn't just sit with a pile of something in the shed that they can't move. This is about making sure that we're all on the same page and we're driving that chain towards a profitable, sustainable, resilient future. And we need those elements to have that communication to make it successful.
0: Right. And that word resilient future. I mean, resilience is really important to growers right now, isn't it? Knowing that they are producing a crop that they can definitely find a market for. So give us some of the examples of crops that you have been working on. I know there's quite a list. So uh, over to you. Tell us a bit more.
1: Yeah. So it is quite a list. One of the innovation crops that we've worked on for decades now is naked oats. So quite a mainstay and something that I suppose many of the listeners will probably have heard about, if not currently grow. Naked Oats themselves, for those that aren't aware of it or grew it maybe 30 years ago and say, that's not for me now, uh, the game has changed a bit because we've addressed the agronomy. But in essence, we've also created a stable marketplace where we know we've got eight sectors we sell in. We sell it from a range of different things, from humans right into animal grade. And that gives us an opportunity to be able to move various specifications beyond naked oats we've addressed many other issues one of the more exciting ones recently is that of our food barley story food barley is a great one because it's not feed barley it's food barley so this is targeted at humans and not animals and what we've had what we've landed up trying to do here is we try to address uh, public health issues so we've looked to address cardiovascular disease diabetes obesity We've gone to the ingredients businesses and said, what is your problem and how can we help you solve that problem with our crops? And food barley was one of the ones that came out of it. Very high in dietary fiber, high in beta-glucan, a story that many people are aware of, but maybe didn't think barley would be a good portal for it. We've managed to source various genetics, and they are far superior to anything else, nutritionally speaking, in, um, in the marketplace today in the UK. So quite excited by that. And we look to grow that market moving forward.
0: So does that just simply mean farmers have to choose a different variety or is it more than that?
1: Yes, it, not just different. I mean, I suppose not just different varieties, but different um, sort of traits, if you will. So it's not just about. So if you look at barley today and you look at the multitude of different spring barleys that are in the marketplace, most of them are for malting or for distilling or they're for feed and you're playing with very minimal traits, shall we say. What we've done here is we've managed to source specific genetics um, that have been bred from ancient lines, And we've incorporated these traits, or the breeders at least have incorporated those traits for us, and we've able to get much higher nutritional value. So whether that's resistant starch, dietary fiber, beta-glucan, and all of that in its own way, Helps us contribute to what we're aiming to achieve here, which is addressing public health concerns.
0: So that that is absolutely growing to meet the modern nutritional need, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. So should farmers be really excited by hearing this?
1: Well, I think so, because the reality is is that public the public currently is really sort of focused on their health. They they know about their health. They know about the fact that they need to change their dietary habits. Then, but at the same time although they know about it, they might not necessarily want to do anything too drastic. You know, yes, we know the move of veganism and vegetarianism, but the vast majority of the public would probably rather make small changes. And by doing small changes, they've actually actively changed their diet. Yes. But if you're only going to do something small, that in itself has to be very impactful. And that's what we're looking to do. So our food barley is going into, for example, bread, cereal bars, cereals themselves so breakfast cereals and you know by doing that these are the things that people eat every day as a staple well if we can introduce better prebiotic probiotic all of that sort of dietary fiber stuff it's 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 an easy way to make a small change but a big change in your life
0: yeah and of course it's it's from our point of view it's locally grown produce it's going to be grown in the UK so fantastic. So tell us a little bit about some of the other crops. I know there are other particularly in the area of pulses.
1: Yeah, so pulses are for us quite an exciting way because we know about the benefit of pulses in the rotation. We know about how pulses fix nitrogen for example and you know the various different pulses have different root structures that do different things for the soil. So from a grower's perspective they're a fantastic thing to have in the soil. However, we also know that pulses are maybe a bit hit and miss in the marketplace. So from that perspective, it's trying to find alternative pulses, perhaps, that can provide an opportunity to growers. Some of those that we've looked at and that are proving quite successful in their own way, that is, everything's got a problem, I suppose, but is lupins, chickpeas, and haricot beans. Uh, You know, lupin's really exciting at the moment. We've got a great variety. It's Uh, it's performing really well on farm. We think from a homegrown protein perspective, this is an absolute win um, to offset soya imports. So, you know, bear in mind, you know, a lot of soya goes into animal feed and that soya has got to come more than likely from South America or USA. Um, There's, you know, there's a lot of carbon attached to that. Um, You know, and with livestock farmers getting hammered left, right and centre when it comes to um, the cows are killing the planet, etc., well, if we can offset some of that, we should, really. And at the moment, lupins are looking like a great addition into that market space.
0: So I guess it's not just about UK growers picking a crop that they can successfully grow on their farm, but I guess the food processors in that all-important food chain, they need that crop delivered on time and at the right quality.
1: Yes, they do. No, 100% they do. And I think, you know we talk about innovation crops and what we've done and what we've investigated and soy is a great example of something that we've had a go with. And in essence, we've shelved for the moment, you know, on the basis that we have, we have a responsibility to our customer who is the farmer and the agronomist uh, and the industry at large. We can't just be so like sourcing genetics, for example, and going, oh, here we go. Here's some seed, grow that. And if it grows great, we'll market it for you. We need to know it works. So we knew soy was some was a target for many. So we went and saw thirty six odd varieties. We had a go over multiple years, different seasons, and yes, when we had the hottest summer on record, soya was great and it did a fantastic job. And you'd back it every year. The problem is, is that that was the hottest summer on record. Since then, we haven't had one of those, and soy hasn't succeeded for us. Now that's, we have to look at that and say, okay, well, if we're only going to have success one in however many years, does that work for our customer? Does that work for the value chain? And for us, our answer to that was no. And then we went, are there alternative options? And we found lupins and we're looking at chickpeas and haricot beans, like I say, and we think that they might be perhaps more viable. So from our perspective, we put soy on the shelf to say, it's a great idea. We love it. It's just not working for us. So
0: we would rather go a different route. Yeah, sure. And, and we've talked uh, during many podcasts about the, the the real issues for growers with that uh, variability in the climate. You know, the very dry periods, the cold periods, then very heavy rainfall. So actually, finding crops that can be reliably grown is going to suit the whole of that value chain, isn't it? Um, tell me, uh, worldwide, I mean, how big are some of these crops? We're talking about the chickpeas, haricot beans, lupins. I mean, how widely are they grown elsewhere?
1: I mean, it's, <clears throat> to suggest massive is an understatement. Um, you know, I think you just have to, if you look at soya, I mean, right through most parts of South America, large sections of Brazil, USA grow. It's, it's just, it's, it's vast um, from that perspective. You know, chickpeas, again, you've got Canada, USA, India, um, you know, there's areas of Africa that grow it. France grow it. You know, it, they, these are big, big players. These are not small agricultural communities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so we could be talking um, ourselves into thinking that these could be really niche crops, but in fact, there could be quite a potential acreage for growers.
1: No, there could be. And I think you know, again, if you go just quickly into chickpeas and you think we import sixty thousand ton of chickpea, perhaps. I mean, that does vary year and year. It does vary on demand, obviously, but. If that's about the average, you know, and you're yielding at, we would say, probably three tons of the hectare, you know, you, you've got a good, you know, 20,000 hectares to go at. And that's a significant area. That's the UK market in, in its entirety. One has to be realistic and say, you're never going to offset everything because, um, in a you know, a buyer, a purchaser can't be putting all their eggs in one basket. But at the same time, as I say, if we can offset 50% of the imports, we've done a very good job and and we've done a responsible job.
0: Listening to you, I can hear this, there's quite a bit of work going on in the background. So so what are the steps you're taking to start to bring these great ideas for these crops forward to growers?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, in essence, we, we always start with... Um, well, we always start with the, the crop, right? We got to start with the agronomy aspect of the crop. So, how best to get it growing? So, and that is that that goes from soil type and and you know making sure we we trial it on various soil types so we know exactly where we're going to start with. And then it's how do you get the crop up and running? What do you then do to it? You know, do we need to address herbicides, fungicides? If we do, how what is the crop classified as? You know, do we have to have emus in place? Do we? Well, you know, what are all these little bits and pieces we have to go and put together to be able to create a package we could take to the grower? Whilst we're doing that at the same time though, we are producing small pilot crops and we're taking that to the end user to keep them engaged and to say, right, you know, now you've seen that crop across say two or three seasons, every season you've approved it, you know. so how do we now progress this and what sort of volumes are you looking for in order to offset your imports. And we try to make sure that that picture singing to each other so that when we, when the end user comes to us and says, right, great, yes, it's going to be however many tons, thousands of tons. We can go, right, that's going to be X number of hectares. OK, boys and girls, here we go, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. So everybody, it's all linked up, right? Everybody's talking. Everybody knows where it's going. Everybody knows what needs to happen. We've addressed. The growing aspect of it the harvesting aspect of it we've made sure the end users in place and signed up and you know we've linked all of that together to make sure that value is maintained within that chain
0: yeah and that sounds incredibly focused uh sky it sounds really good but i can i can sense listeners going yes but as you said we talked about this 20 years ago it's one of these sort of you know ideas that never actually land. So how close are we to actually having some of these projects going commercially live?
1: We're close. I mean, the reality is the game's changed. So I would say, yes, 20, 30 years ago, if I looked at the crop today and try to imagine agriculture 20, 30 years ago, bearing in mind I'm only 37, um, it's a case of saying machinery is different. Growing conditions are different. Soils are different. How growers approach things is different. You know, we've moved to a world of precision in agriculture. We've moved to variable rates of seed, nutrition, all of it. It's, it's just a very, very different game. We've now got combine headers that can basically skim the surface and hoover crops off the ground. I mean, it's, it's a world apart. It's not the same game. And I think because of that, we're now in an opportunity where we can capitalize. You know, again, I go back, you go back decades, you're not going to have this tech. And because of the fact that we've got the tech, we can now do it. Now, that's not to say that some crops still won't present issues. I mean, you know, chickpeas, we've got a maturity problem with chickpeas. How do we address that? And we're still addressing all of those things and asking the questions. But I think, you know, if I look at food barley, it's just a matter of the second public's there, we're there. You know, the, the market's there, we can grow it. We know we can grow this crop. We know we can combine it. We know what it does. So there's no, you know, that is a market prime for growth. If I look at haricot beans, we get the mechanics right. We can go to the various farms and have the right tech and say, right, let's have a go. And we can do it next year. You know I mean? It's, you know, within a year or two, we are there with those sort of crops. The other ones, as I say, it, we have to sometimes develop markets. I mean, I just have to look at our colored grains. Colored grains are amazing. But we have to do new product development within the chain to create the market within the UK, such that we can then go and put these crops out on the farm. So there's a lot of background work still needed there. And then, you know, I go back to chickpeas. We have other things we have to address. Yes, theoretically, a plug and play market. You still got to get it in the tank, you know, and that, that's the take home.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can hear all of that. I can also sense your absolute enthusiasm and belief in this, Guy. It's it's uh, Your your enthusiasm and energy is quite infectious. It's fantastic. And I'm sure listeners can hear that and sense that too. Um, this also really helps us meet the needs of the modern requirements in terms of environmental considerations, you know, the Green Horizons Initiative, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, no, it does. And I think, you know, <clears throat> we'd be... I suppose, a bit naive to not call agri a food business. We are, in essence, a food business because we agronomize, we advise on growers' land that produces food for the public. And, I, you know, that in itself, um, even if it's indirect food, for if you're feeding animals, for example, but the reality is, is with that comes the level of responsibility to address the future. And, you know, the Green Horizons Initiative and, and the various things attached to that, it's great. And we have to have the arsenal and the tools in place to be able to help address what we're saying in that manifesto. These crops, we know, can add to rotation. We know that we can stretch rotations out. We can increase biodiversity on the farm. We can give farmers another avenue of uh, revenue. We've got all those things in place. And I think in its own way, they will then add to the rotational value in terms of soil structures, soil resiliences, and protecting that land for future generations to carry on growing and producing for the UK consumer.
0: So clearly some very valuable reasons to be interested in these innovative crops. Um, Sky, we're coming towards the end of our podcast now and what a podcast it's been. But what top tip would you give to anybody listening today as to how they can keep in touch with any of the latest developments in these innovative crops? Well, I mean, the, the
1: growers themselves at the end of the day agri agronomists are updated and uh you know through the seed team and and various other ways the communications channels uh, in terms of how we are progressing with these crops we provide updates to we you know we've got them on various iFarms as well and various trial locations and quite happy to take anybody there and talk about what we're doing and how we're doing it and the various issues we're seeing because you know it's not all you know sort of roses basically there's there's a lot of thorns attached to this as well um you know and i think we would like to talk about everything the good the bad the ugly and i think from that perspective you know there are various ways that you know just keep on talking to the agri-agronomist or you know keep in touch with received seed people and we can always work out some way of getting across and talking about it i think you know the end users and in, in terms of the the back end of the chain shall we say and the the buyers and the producers the reality is we are here and we are making ourselves very public now Um, we're talking about these much more widely um, and it's very easy to get in contact
0: thank you sky for a fascinating look at innovative crops with some real opportunities for both growers and the food industry in the near future that's it for this podcast but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season Exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.